Welcome to Talking History with Big Coop. Uh, my name is Cassie Cooper and I'm a United States history teacher in Southeast Louisiana. Today's show and every show are about connecting you with your past so you can understand your present and plan for your future. The Cuban Revolution of 1895 had been the brainchild of Jose Marte. He had founded the Cuban Revolutionary Party in 1892. And by 1895, they were charging onto the island, trying to push back against their Spanish oppressors for hundreds of years. And this is the last big holding of what was once a grand Spanish empire. Spain is in a serious state of decline. Simon Boulevard led a series of liberation movements in the early 19th century. They lost their territories and most of the rest of Central and South America. At this point, they hold Guam, the Philippines, Puerto Rico, and the crown jewel, the moneymaker, Cuba, the island of sugar. The revolution begins. Jose Marte dies almost immediately. Either way, the revolution continues without him. It's led by a contingent of generals. They fight guerrilla war style against the Spanish armies. And as it builds up, you have to remember that America is very close to this little island. It's under 90 miles away from the base of Florida. It has always had a very close relationship with the United States. At different points in our country's history, we've talked about annexing it, taking it on as our own territory. Many American businessmen have you know, found their way to that island for plantations, for sugar, building railroads, all sorts of things. Now, going back to our isolationism, we do have a strong contingent of Americans that believe true pride in our, our nation, true nationalism is to stick to our Republican principles, to allow people to choose their own sovereignty, to have the consent of the governed. We cannot become imperial. So before we get involved in this conflict, and the tide is turning towards becoming involved because these are people fighting for their freedoms against an imperial tyrant, very similar to the story of 1776, isolationists slash anti-imperialist, anti-expansionist, are able to push through the Teller Amendment, which states that we shall not annex Cuba to the United States. We will only go there if we're going there to fight for their own independence. Then a string of things happen. First, we have yellow journalism, which is sensational journalism of people like William Randolph Hearst and Joseph Pulitzer turning the American public against the Spanish and seeing them as a great evil that needs to be removed. We have the explosion of the USS Maine in the harbor, which yellow journalism turns into a direct assault on the American public. And we have a young Teddy Roosevelt in a position of power as Assistant Secretary of the Navy. Once the Maine has exploded, it's really hard for President McKinley to say no to war. The American public believes that he is going to be weak, and then a letter known as the DeLome letter from a Spanish ambassador is intercepted where he states that exactly that McKinley is weak and easily swayed. So he has no political options left but to mount an invasion of Cuba. 
At the same time, the Navy, pushed along by Teddy Roosevelt, sent Admiral George Dewey to the Philippines to take out the Spanish fleet there. The war in Cuba, which Teddy joins, he resigns his post because he believes that every country and every man can only truly find themselves through war. He joins up with a group of people that become known as the Rough Riders. These are volunteers, a hodgepodge mix of rich East Coast men, cowboys, Native Americans, who come together under Teddy's leadership and become the heroes of one of the major battles of the war, the Battle of San Juan Hill. In fact, this is the moment that catapults Teddy Roosevelt to a position as governor of New York when he moves back into the States. And the splendid little war is so-called because it is over less than four months after it has begun. And from it, after the Treaty of Paris, 1898, ended the fighting after only 16 weeks. Spanish-American War is done. From this, we get some key components of the treaty, right? We get Cuba gaining independence, more on that later, becoming a U.S. protectorate. Spain cedes Puerto Rico and the Pacific Island of Guam. The United States will pay Spain $20 million then for the annexation of the Philippine Islands as a territory. So the Filipinos will not be getting the independence that they had been expecting. This will lead to a much longer war, the Filipino-American War. The United States has its first extra-continental territories. We have Guam, we have the Philippines, we pick up Hawaii just for kicks on the way back, and we have Puerto Rico. Not Cuba, though, because we have the Teller Amendment. However, we are able to push through the Platt Amendment on the Cubans in their constitution, which states that America, to protect their independence and freedom, reserves the right to send troops there if at any time they are doing things that would infringe on their freedoms, such as going into debt, entering into treaties of other nations, are generally doing something we don't like. We also request a lease of land to build a base, a base that we still have there, despite the fact that the government of Raul Castro and his brother before him does not acknowledge the right of us to have that property and view it as an armed uh, invasion of their territory. They haven't cashed any of the checks we've sent them in 70 years. So Cuba is independent nominally, and we are now joining the ranks of the great European powers, Britain, France, Germany, Belgium, the ranks of nations like Japan as an imperial power. We'll see you next time on Talking History of Big Coop. Remember to subscribe and tell your friends.